You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over king. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We have an extraordinary guest. You may never have heard of him, but after you listen to him, you will want to read every word that he's written. His name is Gary Green. He has been inside, outside, on top of all over the gambling industry in the United States and abroad. He's written a book called Gambling Man that will be made into a motion picture. Uh, we have a great conversation. I think you'll be interested in ta- in listening to him. And just as spoiler alert, he gives his honest opinions about whether, well, which casino operator is best for the Boston market. So I think you will be very interested in hearing what he has to say, listeners. We'll also have a mailbag segment. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Something exciting is happening in New Jersey. People are cheering in Cherry Hill and cashing in chips, pumping fists in Fort Lee and flopping full houses. Get the thrill and play on your laptop, tablet, or mobile at BorgataPoker.com. Texas Hold'em, daily tournaments, and -and sit-and-goes. Real money anywhere in New Jersey. The Borgata Hotel and Casino is a name you trust, so you can be sure that BorgataPoker.com is secure. And now with a $25 deposit, you can get a $20 bonus when you sign up for Borgata Poker at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Remember, you must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BABE16 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code BABE16. That's B-A-B-E-16 at adamandeve.com. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is designed to cater directly to poker players. Great locations, deep stack tournaments, affordable buy-ins, and most importantly, large prize pools. This year, with over 20 events in nine states, the Mid-States Poker Tour provides an exciting opportunity for poker in one of the most underrated poker hotbeds in the country. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for upcoming tournaments near you. The Mid-States Poker Tour. Finally, a poker tour designed for poker players. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. 
Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Some houses are born bad. You're listening to the House of Cards. I never dreamed that any mere physical experience could be so stimulating. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And uh, we're about to have on as a guest, I think, uh, one of the most interesting people, at least one of the most interesting people I had never heard of until I read his book, Gambling Man. I think he could replace the guy from the Dos Equis commercial, uh, the most interesting man in the world. His name is Gary Green, and he is with us now. Gary, welcome to House of Cards. Thank you so much, and thank you for the kind words. Oh, I, I, you've done so many different things. I'm, what I'm hoping is that you could just start out, give our listeners, who are generally poker players and people of the world, a one- or two-minute sketch of your life as a gambling person and maybe even drop a few of the other extraordinary things that you have done. You know, I, when I try to think about where I started in this racket in, in the in the gambling world, it really starts with my childhood. When my father was 16 years old, he ran away from home in North Carolina and joined a traveling carnival as a blackjack dealer. Uh, and and basically, he was you know he was taking the local rubes throughout the South, uh, playing blackjack. And so by the time by the time I became a kid, time I came along and, and was growing up, I was the oldest of three boys. By the time I was five or six years old, my father was teaching us all the all the important values of life, like never burn a face card. So, <laughs> Good. so, so you know, we, we, we learned early. Um my my first career uh, in in life was as a musician, and I used to tell people there was good news and bad news about being a folk singing guitar player traveling the country. The good news was in in the 1970s I was making about seven hundred and fifty dollars an hour. The bad news is I was playing about one hour a month. Uh, <laughs> And Are you so, a stand-up comic also? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's just the real picture of life. Um, in in the late 1970s, and I'm thinking it was probably around 1979, I had a gig in Baltimore that, uh, you know, it was an okay gig, but it was one of those deals where you play for uh, for a percentage of the door, and the door wasn't that big that night. It was a Sunday, and it wasn't that good. Uh, I went back to the band house where they had me put up, turned on the television after an, an early afternoon show, and I was watching 60 Minutes. 
and there was a piece on 60 Minutes on a guy counting cards. I'd never heard of card counting. I mean, this was long before the MIT teams and, and before it became popular to count cards. Was that about uh, Ken Houston? And exactly, exactly. It was the Ken Houston story on 60 Minutes. And I sat there just fascinated, blown away by it. And the next day I went to Barnes & Noble and I bought Beat the Dealer and, and I read through it. And I said, you know what? You, you don't have to be a genius to do this. You, this. This is doable, I think. So I found Atlantic City had just opened. And it was in the early days of Atlantic City to get to the slot machines. People were standing in line three and four deep waiting for a, a nickel slot machine to, to come open. In those days, the tables up there, they had, uh, they had $2 tables, white chip tables. So you could play blackjack for $2. So, I, you know, like I said, the guitar gig had not been going well. I uh, I borrowed twenty dollars from the manager of the club. I gave it to a uh, to a junket bus operator, and that gave me my trip to it, my first trip to Atlantic City. I got up to uh, to Atlantic City and uh, traded my voucher in for a roll of quarters, which I, I traded for a twenty dollar bill. Sat down at a blackjack table and said, "Okay, I'm going to try this." And so I started counting cards. I played for about four and a half hours and made enough money to pay the rent for the month and and got up and walked away. But like the junkie, the first one's free, man. So I'm like, ooh, I'm, I'm addicted now. It's cool. <laughs> and it beats the hell out of picking guitar in smoky bars. So, uh, so I started going to Atlantic City three, four, five times a week. And for the next 11 months, I, I made a living as a card counter. Not a particularly sophisticated one. I mean, a real simple, stupid count. But but in those days, you know, people weren't helped to it. They didn't know what was going on, and the, the table managers in Atlantic City were, were not all that terribly experienced. It wasn't a lot of Vegas people. And, uh, you know, the floors didn't know what anybody was doing. And I was playing one afternoon at the Sands, which is just just set back from the board. It's not there anymore, but it's just set back from the boardwalk a little bit. And the count on the deck got to be some stupid high number. I don't remember what it was, but it was some stupid, stupid, stupid number. And so I I just took out all the checks in my pocket. I mean, I had a lot of blacks and greens in my pocket, and I just laid everything out on the table there. And I, I had been I had been betting table minimum, and I was sitting at a, at a red table at a five dollar table, and now all of a sudden I've got some stupid stupid bet. In those days, you know, today when we operate a casino, we squeeze the tables. That is, we set a, a top end limit on the table so that some goof like me can't come along and sit at a five dollar table and make a five thousand dollar bet or something. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I did it. And as soon as I did it, uh, it, finally the floor wised up and made me and realized what I was doing. So long story short, and this, this was supposed to be short, and I've been talking for five minutes now. But, <laughs> it's all right. It's a good story. Keep going. But the the short version of it is uh, they did not cut off my hand or break my legs, but they did ban me from the casino. They let me take my money. They they cashed me out and uh, let me take the money. And and I figured, well, you know, to heck with them. I'll walk next door to the Claridge. I mean, you know, it's just across the little alley here. So I walk into the Claridge and figure I'm going to sit at a table there. And they won't even let me in the door. Security's standing there, and he, like, waves his finger in front of me and won't even let me in the door. Now, keep in mind, this is before the days of the Internet. This is before the days of text messaging and, and I thought, before the days of instant communications. So I figured, well, heck with them. You know, there's, there's 12 casinos on the boardwalk here. I'll walk up the boardwalk. So I 
walk up, walk back up to the boardwalk, and Bally's is the next place there. I walk into Bally's, and nobody messes with me. So I'm going to be Mr. Cool, sort of nonchalant. I walk through, and I drop some money into a slot machine and sort of make my way back to the tables, back to the pits, and I sit down at a table. And uh, the floor does a double take at, at me, and he walks up to me. And again, this is before the days of the Internet. This cat walks up to me, and he says, uh, Mr. Green, you're welcome to play the machines here at Bally's, but we we feel you're a little too lucky for our tables. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, this is bad. Uh, suddenly, my, my newfound career was over. So I, I go back out to uh, to the boardwalk, and I, I walk down to resorts, which is where I had I had come up from. By now, I had graduated from taking the $20 buses, and I'm now taking these luxury junket buses that have like 12 seats on them and a, and a hostess and all this good stuff on it. So the guy that's the junket master that owns this, uh, or I thought owned this bus line, uh, he's milling around on the boardwalk up there, and he walks up to me and says, they caught you, didn't they, kid? And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Huh? What? I didn't do anything. And uh, he said, yeah, I've been watching you for a while. I knew they'd catch you. And he, he asked me, uh, do you think you could get uh, Do you think you could get other gamblers from Baltimore and Washington to come to Atlantic City? And I said, yeah, I don't know, maybe. And he said, I don't, I don't mean penny players now. I mean real gamblers, people that are going to sit down at these tables and play. And it, suddenly I was in the in the junket business. Suddenly I was filling buses for him. He paid me a bounty per head, and uh, I, poof, I'm I'm suddenly in the business. And uh, you know, it was a non-licensed position. I'm I'm a sort of a freelance kind of salesman for him. Uh, I later incidentally found out this bus line was owned by Meyer Lansky, uh, <laughs> but but that's an entirely different track of story. But over the years, I became more and more interested in in bringing players into casinos. I went through the ranks of of casino marketing, uh, did everything from oh, this was in the days pre Players Club. Even I mean there were no there were no player tracking systems. There were no Players Club. Everything was done with uh, with index cards and shoe boxes and 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 pit bosses and host had pencil power to comp anything. I mean, this was this was the early days of, or relatively speaking, the early days. Um, but I, I went through the ranks and, and held lots of casino marketing positions. Uh, over the years, I, see, I, I became a, a vice president of marketing and player development for Donald Trump. Um, after after I got to know the Trump organization and understood what it is that, that Donald did, I uh, I realized he never put up any of his own money, and he just sort of smoke and mirrors arranged financing for casinos. And I figured, hell, I can do this. And so I started developing casinos uh, primarily for Indian uh, tribes across the country. We're going to take a break, and then we'll be right back. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own, the Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is traveling around the region now. Upcoming stops include the Majestic Star Casino in Gary, Indiana, July 26th to August 3rd, and the Tropicana Evansville, Evansville, Indiana, August 16th to the 24th. The last event at the Majestic Star generated a prize pool of over $300,000, so don't be left out. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for registration and additional tournament information. The Mid-States Poker Tour. Finally, a poker tour designed for poker players. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. The ambassador 
of poker. Join us online at houseofcardsradio.com. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And for listeners who just tuned in, we're talking with Gary Green, who is the author of Gambling Man. I read with great interest a lot of your stories. Uh, If we had more time, I think we could get into all of them. But I had a couple I wanted you to uh, focus on. But before we do, I had a question for you just that came up as you were talking about players' cards. Do you remember Telly Savalas coming on TV and hawking players' cards that people would pay for. Do you know anything about the genesis of that, how that came about? Players Club International. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That was actually born uh, as a reaction to the success that Bob Stupak was having. And, uh, you know, in the Vegas book, world. About, right. And, you know, what Stupak did brilliant, brilliantly, I mean, it was just the best ever, and, and still to this day the best. He made the, the the average guy, I mean, the average working class guy out there, he would make that cat feel like a, a VIP king of Las Vegas. I mean, and I mean, you just felt so important when you when you responded to one of his direct mail pieces. And even though you ended up paying him, you, you felt like he was paying you. So the, the guys that set up uh, Players Club International, I can't even remember the guy's name that set it up. Um, but what that cat did is he took that to the next level, and, and what he did was instead of targeting the, the working-class guys, he targeted a middle-level management guy. Uh, I mean, still, you know, nobody's nobody's really going after the, the giant players, and you know, it, it, but they're, they're uh, pushing this whole mythology of the whale, you know, it, it, Real whales in the world, there may be six or eight of them, but, but you know, the, the mythology that you're an important guy, you're the most important gambler to us. And, uh, you know, people people would pay for that. And uh, that, that lasted quite a while. I remember that, that whole scheme was going on for quite a while. When did the casinos figure out that, you know, we could do this for free and it makes more? When was the first casino that really offered players cards for free? Do you know? Let me think about that. You know, there were a couple of things that were going on at the same time. Bally's, um, and and it, it wasn't even it wasn't even the original Bally's by then. It, it had already become Park Place Entertainment by then. Uh, started a players a players club then. Um, I'm trying to think who else. You know what? Caesars in uh, Caesars in Reno had a player's card that that's my favorite player's card ever. It had uh it had punch holes in it. Uh some of some of the listeners may remember uh, uh computer punch cards. Yes. Back right. And you know they had these little uh rectangular shaped holes in them. Uh Caesars in uh, Reno created a players club where they issued the player a plastic card that had these little holes punched in it. And it would somehow sort the data. I don't know what data was kept on there, but it would sort that data and and track you that way. So you'd sit down at a table, and you'd hand the floor your card, and he would drop it into this card reader that sounded like some kind of punch machine. It would go when you'd drop that card in there. And uh, they started tracking you that way. 
and uh, and that one was free, and and they they encourage you to 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 play with it. Well, here's a question for you. I was reading about all these different places you went and helped develop, and I've been involved in a lot of uh, a lot of poker rooms, seen hundreds and hundreds of casinos. People think that a casino is a license for printing money, and those guys all know what they're doing. But your experiences, I think, reveal that not all casino projects are successful or have people that know what they're doing. There's a lot of mistakes and errors and corruption. Uh, can you talk about, maybe you want to mention the name, maybe you don't. There was a Montana project, I believe, a Native American tribe that was, to me, humorously bad at developing itself. You know, there there was, as the Native American properties started to spring up, um, you know, like like the whole history of of people dealing with with Native Americans with Indians in this country, there there were always there were always settlers that that wanted to come in and find a way to take advantage, and in the early days of Indian casinos, I've got to tell you, there were some there were some moneyed guys that came in and they would just whatever they could do to try to to convince a tribe. Oh yeah, it's easy to run a casino. Let me just put some money here and I'll take the thirty percent management fee for it, and I'll take the for for six years. Uh, the the federal law says that you can only uh, have a contract in your finance contract. You can only collect money for less than seven years. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after a quick break. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Something exciting is happening in New Jersey. People are cheering in Cherry Hill and cashing in chips, pumping fists in Fort Lee and flopping full houses. Get the thrill and play on your laptop, tablet, or mobile at BorgataPoker.com. Texas Hold'em, daily tournaments, and sit-and-goes. Real money anywhere in New Jersey. The Borgata Hotel and Casino is a name you can trust so you can be sure that BorgataPoker.com is secure. And now with a $25 deposit, you can get a $20 bonus when you sign up for Borgata Poker at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Remember, you must be at least 21 and physically present in New Jersey to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Hey, this is Dave Weishuttle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of July 21st, 2014. 
The FBI and the Nevada Gaming Control Board raided and shut down an illegal sports betting operation at Caesars Palace last week. Authorities say that the ring was run by Malaysian and Chinese nationals who were taking bets on the World Cup. Allegedly, they set up several villas at the casino with large amounts of electronic equipment where illegal wagers were made and the odds on the different World Cup matches were monitored. Caesars Palace was not a target of the investigation and cooperated with authorities. Well, it looks like one more Atlantic City casino will be closing its doors. Trump Plaza announced it will be shutting down in mid-September. Its closure means that 1,100 people will be losing their jobs. With the potential closure of the Revel Casino in September, and with the showboat shutting down on August 31st, it means that 20% of the city's casino jobs are now on the chopping block. And finally, if you found a winning ticket on a casino floor, you'd think it'd be your lucky day. That's what Anthony Craig thought when he found a $200 winning ticket on the floor of Harris, Philadelphia. But instead of being $200 richer, Craig got charged with a crime. The person who lost the ticket filed a complaint with the state police, and security cameras showed Craig picking up the ticket. He now faces charges for theft of mislaid property. Appears the legal doctrine of finders keepers doesn't apply in Pennsylvania. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. You're listening to the House of Cards. People act like poker's a new game. It ain't. Same game it's always been. Zeros are different. Let's play some cards. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. For our listeners who are as wrapped in attention as I am, I want you to know we're talking with Gary Green, who is the author of Gambling Man. Uh, Continue, Gary. Sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted our listeners to make sure if they tuned in late, they knew who you were. Sure. So, so the the federal law, or what these guys would do to get around the federal law, is they would they would sign a contract with these tribes for six years, eleven months, and twenty nine days, uh, so that it's not a, a seven year contract. And then they would convince these tribes to open a casino. And and you know, God bless them. The, the, these these early tribes tried desperately to run casinos, but it was it was like uh, it was like the the Three Stooges run a casino. It was like the the, the Keystone Cops run a casino. It, just a comedy of errors of things that can go wrong in a casino. Um, there was a, a large banking firm that convinced a tribe to build a casino, uh, decided how much money they were going to loan them for the casino, decided what the payback rate was going to be. They and, and the way they get paid back, because it's on sovereign land, is they basically seize the bank account and they set up this paternal relationship that says the tribe can't spend any of the money till the, the party loaning them the money takes their piece out of it first. I mean, that's, that's the way it's done. So these guys build this casino up there. They don't get enough money to pave their parking lot, uh, to put in uh, outdoor lights in the thing. They, they, they train people. They don't even train people. They hire people and put them to work there. One of my favorite things that happened there. And, and anywhere else in the, in the real world, outside of early Indian country, you would say somebody was stealing from you. But honest to God, this was just a comedy of errors. Uh, my, my, my favorite one, and there's a picture of it in the book, a guy passes a uh, takes a $5 bill to the cashier's <laughs> yes. cage, and he takes a magic marker, and beside the five, he draws a zero, and uh, so it now says 50 on it, takes it to the cage, 
and uh, gets two twenties and ten as change for it for the five dollar bill. Yes, I see the picture, and for those who don't don't have a copy, and I imagine very few of our listeners do, it looks like an amateurish child did the drawing on the card uh, on the uh, bill to make it look like a fifty. It's humorously bad. You can't imagine anybody would mistake this. A uh, $5 bill for a 50 but apparently they did. Where was that casino, and what happened to it? That casino is alive and well and operating today, uh, somewhat well. That casino is on the eastern slope of Glacier National Park. It's Glacier... Glacier Peaks Casino. It's the Blackfeet Nation, and and the good news and bad news about the casino during during the summer months, uh, that casino makes a little bit of money. The 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 win per unit for the games up there for the slot machines up there, uh, they're doing a little less than a hundred dollars. Probably doing seventy five to eighty five dollars per machine per day in the summer months. In the winter months. You can't get there, and 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 that's not just a joke. The the state of Montana closes the roads when the <laughs> when the snow is so bad. Let me tell you, you hear my southern accent. I'm a southern boy, and and yes, I lived in New York. I lived in New Jersey. I, I've been in the snow, but I have never been in snow like I was in when we built Glacier Peaks Casino. Uh, when you when you when you go to Cutbank, Montana, which is the the closest town to to this area up there, when you go to Cutbank, Montana. In front of every store, the grocery store, everything, there are what appear to be hitching posts that you would tie your horse to. So when I ask, what the hell is this? This is where you plug your car in because it gets so cold in the wintertime there <laughs> that the viscosity of the oil won't hold unless you have a heater on your block heating the oil, and I'm not kidding. There's a big sign when you go to Cut Bank that says uh, the the lowest temperature ever recorded in the lower 48 states was recorded in this town, 78 below zero. Wow. Now, that's in Montana. For listeners who may not know, Montana is a great state for poker, for low stakes poker, because they allow bars and restaurants to have one or two poker tables. Uh, I think there are hundreds of small what they call casinos. They're not really casinos. They're restaurants that have a couple of poker tables and uh, they're all over the state. I've played there. I did not know about the regular casino casinos that exist there. Do they close down in the winter because nobody can gain access to them? Or do they try to struggle through with Native Americans that can walk on snowshoes to the casino. The tragedy of it, and it's a true tragedy, the tragedy is that rather than closing down in the winter, um, the customers that come there in the winter are, are tribal members coming to play at their own casino. And the, the biggest revenue days for the casino are the two days in the month when the when the welfare checks come, when the government checks come, and it, it's a true tragedy. It, it, it just feeds on itself during the during the winter months. But you're absolutely right about Montana being a, a great gambling state. I mean, I mean Annie Duke lived in, in Montana for a long time, and I mean, you're right, there's, there's bars on every corner in, in, in every little town in Montana where you can go play, uh, again, low-stakes poker, and there are machines in there, too. There are, uh, there are Keno machines and video poker machines. Uh, those machines, incidentally, are low stake too. The the state law has a uh, a cap on payouts of uh, it's either seven or eight hundred dollars. I can't right, remember right. which. I think Todd Brunson, who also goes there every year, he has a big poker tournament. He was looking to have them raise the cap on the tournament buy-ins, and he was successful in that. I don't know what he raised it from and what he raised it to, but he was on the show talking about that. And I visited in Billings 
the room where Annie Duke got her start, at least where I was told she got her start as a professional poker player, uh, playing low stakes, I think, 2-4 limit uh, at some small poker room in downtown Billings, Montana. Um, I had a question for you, a follow-up to what you were saying about the tragedy of people spending their welfare checks. What do you see as far as the the ethics of legalizing gambling and having it spread? I guess on the one hand, you'd say, well, you're you know a professional in the industry. You must want it to spread everywhere. On the other hand, I'm wondering, based on what you've seen, you think laws should be, if any, about regulating and limiting casino gambling, both terrestrial and on the Internet. I'm uh, I'm not a fan of of I, first I'm a huge fan of regulation I'm not a fan of limiting uh, and regulation uh, you know I'm I'm a strong supporter of regulating the fairness of games the rules of games to make sure that no one's going to be cheated either either electronically or or by or by a mechanic I mean that's that's basic stuff. Uh, you know the the ethics of it. I, I think we need to police that ourselves. We, the industry, need to police that ourselves. Um, are there going to be problem gamblers? Are there going to be people that need to be on an exclude list? Yes, and and you know there's methodologies in place for for identifying those people. But do you, do you throw out an industry or do you ban an industry or do you limit an industry because of those few situations? And, and I, no, you, you don't. And it and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about gambling or whether we're talking about you know selling alcohol or whether we're talking about selling. Uh, cars with uh, six-liter engines. I mean, you know, it's, you, you don't destroy the whole industry. I agree with you completely. Let me ask you this. Do you think there is a saturation point that our economy can eventually reach where there's no more new money to be put into gambling that they're just going to start feeding, the casinos will start feeding off each other? You know, I think that... Uh, uh, the real question is: Are there is are there new gamblers coming along? Are there enough new gamblers out there? Because there are enough casinos now. I can't even remember the statistic, and, I, and it's in my book. But but every American lives, at least in the forty eight lower states, lives within driving distance of a casino. So I mean, it, it it's almost hard to to not find a casino today. Uh, and and is business hurting in uh, in in the the long established jurisdictions because of new casinos? Uh, the short answer to that question is two words: Atlantic City. Uh, yes, you know Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania heard Atlantic City. Maryland heard Atlantic City. Delaware, Connecticut, all heard Atlantic City. Um, are, are we feeding off of each other? Yeah, we're always going to feed off of each other. But you know. Um, I was I was reading a history not long ago of the of the DI of the Desert Inn in uh, in Vegas and when the Desert Inn opened their first tower um, Life magazine said this is it this is saturation there are too many hotel rooms and too many casinos and uh, you know how, how many rooms are there in Vegas now is is there a saturation level no I don't think so I mean you know uh, yeah we're going to compete but then you know competition is an interesting and healthy thing I mean yep do we, I, do we, I just wanted we, to ask you about that uh, because you know you see I go all over Las Vegas Atlantic City Tunica. And you could have two casinos, almost exactly the same basic formula, right? You have slot machines, you have a theme, you have a buffet. One casino thrives, makes a lot of money, 
another casino flounders. And, of course, people come up with all sorts of excuses. Well, you know, the traffic doesn't bring people here or uh, we had bad weather or whatever. But why do you think some succeed and some fail? If you were advising a casino, what would they focus on to succeed and what would they avoid to make sure they didn't fail? A hundred percent of the time, it is bad management, and I don't necessarily mean operational management. I mean the philosophical management of the casino. What what are you doing with the casino? Uh, you know, it, it comes down to – you're exactly right, and, and I say this over and over when I talk to groups. Uh, at the end of the day – we in the casino business, we all have the same joints. We've got the same ugly carpet on the floor. We've got the same <laughs> cocktail waitresses. Our employees are interchangeable. You look at the resume of anybody in my business, and they've worked at 15, 20 casinos around the country. A, a general manager of an Indian casino changes jobs every three years because tribal government changes, and he gets kicked out. Uh, so at, at the end of the day, what, what makes one place successful and the other not successful, it's the relationship that the customer has with the location. How does that player feel about the location? It, does the player feel warm and fuzzy? Do you make the player feel good, or do you make the player feel like a number? You know, it, it, it really is that relationship at the end of the day and how you target that relationship. That doesn't mean every place needs to look like uh, the Morgata or, or the uh, or the Bellagio. You, you can have a you can have a tent. You can you can have a sprung steel building or, or a corrugated steel building and a warehouse like place. It's just you need to target to to the demographic for that, your customers for that. And you need to to. You need to know who your customers are, and you need to let them let them feel good about what they're doing. I mean, for God's sakes, we're in the gambling business. Well, I agree, and I think that uh, the places that really focus on customer service, I mean, they all say that they do, but you get a feeling at a place that really focuses and has good management and makes people feel included and special, even though it's not like they were loosest slots in town. They're all paying out about the same. The food's about the same. But there's something about the quality of a place that has good management. I have a question I'm going to ask you to go out on a limb. You may decline. I live in Massachusetts. We in eastern Massachusetts are now faced with, uh, well, we're faced with the prospect of a statewide referendum that may get on the ballot that may try to ban casino gambling again. But right now there are two very large, very well-known players competing for what may be the most valuable license in all of the United States, which is the Eastern Massachusetts license for a casino near Logan Airport. It will either be in Everett, Massachusetts, or in Revere. And I'm wondering if you've had experience and can compare and contrast the Steve Wynn casinos and the Caesars casinos, and tell us your thoughts on each. Um. You know, the Boston Globe asked me the same question about uh, about six weeks ago, and uh, I, I gave them a short answer, but I've thought a lot more about it now. I have worked for Wynn, um, and, and I have debated Gary Loveman, who is the CEO of uh, Caesars. I've debated Loveman on uh, on a panel at, uh, at a, a gaming show. So I've, I've got some knowledge of, of both organizations. Uh, you know, is is one better than the other? They're they're entirely two different philosophies. Um, the Caesars organization, formerly the Harris organization, has become an assembly line. Sadly, 
Um, and and that's that's a terrible thing because Bill Harrow was a was an excellent operator back in the day. Uh, Caesars back back in in its real glory days uh, was was the was the Las Vegas location back in the Sarno days, but. Uh, it's, Caesars is an assembly line. It's a. Uh, it is the worst. It is the worst example of corporate-run casinos. Everything bad that that corporate-run anything connotes, uh, Caesars lives up to exceptionally. Um, you know, I read a statistic not too long ago that that Caesars had cut something like uh, four million dollars to save money. They'd cut something like four million dollars from their housekeeping budget, and I was thinking, my God, if you can cut four million dollars from your housekeeping budget, first of all, what happens to your housekeeping? And secondly, <laughs> wow. Secondly, how big was that budget in the first place? Um, if you go into any of the Caesars properties currently in Vegas. Uh, they're in uh, they're in less than uh, less than stellar states of uh, maintenance and repair, and you know one of the GMs and I won't tell you which property, but one of the Caesar's GMs when I sat down and had this conversation with him very bluntly, uh, he said to me something that I that I had always said and thought was being said, and he just confirmed it to me. He said, "Look." You don't like what we're doing here. I really don't give a damn because you know what? There's two other guys waiting in line to take your place. So you know, if you don't like the room, you don't like my food, you don't like my games, then you know what? Go next door. I got another guy coming at the next convention, and and he's going to play here. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, and and you know, okay, I get it. Uh, Steve Wynn is Steve, is Steve Wynn the ideal operator? No, Steve is not the ideal operator, but. Steve, when he sets his mind on creating an experience, he does successfully create the experience. Is it the experience I would create? Probably not. Is it the experience that I won't know? Is it the experience for the demographic I'm going after? Not necessarily, but he's consistent and he does it well. If you go into the uh, Encore property, I don't like all that red and stuff in there that he's doing and all the all the gold trim on it, but he created that property to go after Asian players, after the Asian market, red's lucky color in that particular culture. The design is very carefully thought through. Everything is is consistent there. Uh, even back when when he was first in in AC, when he had the Golden Nugget back in Atlantic City, the the property was consistent. Um, you know, there used to be an old uh, talk about Caesars. You know, Caesars' parent company, original company, was Holiday Inns. Holiday Inns used to advertise back in the '60s and '70s. The reason to stay at a Holiday Inn is because you know what you're getting every every time and in every town. It's the same thing, and that's a good thing. Uh, Caesars cannot say that today. Steve Wynn can say that. You know exactly what you're going to get when you go to to one of the Wynn properties, whether it's one of the, the sister properties in Vegas or whether you're in Macau. You you know what you're getting. Um, wow, Gary, you've just said an awful lot. Um, we're going to have to have you come back because I still have 17 more questions on my list, including why Pharaoh disappeared, uh, the chicken promotion what it was like uh, in old Vegas, how it's different from today, a million things that we can't talk about now. But I am eager for our listeners to know that your book, Gambling Man, is almost a verbatim transcription of what you've said on the air, plus 85 other chapters that you haven't talked about yet. So if they like what you had to say... Gambling Man is a great book. Where can they get it? Do you have a website? Is there a place they can go? You know, the easiest place to get is Amazon.com. Go to, go to Amazon. Amazon sells the most of them. 
Um, there's a website called uh, called gamblingmanbook.com too, but it it really it just directs you to Amazon. So go to Amazon. Now, I noticed on the cover it says, now, soon to be a major motion picture. Is that just a bit of self-promotion, or is there really a movie coming out about your life? We sold the rights to the book uh, to an outfit called Barcelona Films, which is a uh, Chinese-owned – it's an Italian name. It's a Chinese-owned production company in Hollywood, and they have reached out to – I think they look for the person that looks the least like me on the planet. Jackie Uh, Chan. Even 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 jo- less like me, they reached out to De Niro. And, uh, <laughs> okay, no, I they, see the resemblance. They, they, <laughs> only that we're both old guys, and you're both white. Exactly. They're uh, you know they they have reached out to De Niro. They're understanding negotiations with his people. Uh, when it's actually going to become a film, I don't know. But but I did sell the rights to them and. Uh, Something called Puji Capital of uh, of China is uh, is going to do the film. Well, again, Gary, uh, would love to have you back on. There's much more meat here to talk about. Uh, you've been a fascinating guest, a great author. I look forward to talking to you again. I enjoyed it, and thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. That was Gary Green, author of Gambling Man. Listeners, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with another guest shortly. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BABE16 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code BABE16. That's B-A-B-E-16 at adamandeve.com. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyons, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Need to sell your house fast? We're Homevestors, the We Buy Ugly Houses people. You've seen our big yellow billboards with our caveman Ugg, but did you know that Homevestors is America's number one home buyer? 
At Homevestors, we can buy your house as is, pay you cash, and usually pay most of the closing costs, and we close fast. Call today for your no-obligation consultation and get out of that ugly real estate situation. If your house needs repairs, you're ready to downsize, tired of renters and those rental property repairs, retiring, experiencing a job transfer, inherited a property, or just need to sell your house fast, do what thousands of satisfied Homevestor customers have done. Call Homevestors today for a no-obligation consultation at 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. We'll close fast and pay cash. So what are you waiting for? Call Homevestors today. 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is designed to cater directly to poker players. Great locations, deep stack tournaments, affordable buy-ins, and most importantly, large prize pools. This year, with over 20 events in nine states, the Mid-States Poker Tour provides an exciting opportunity for poker in one of the most underrated poker hotbeds in the country. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for upcoming tournaments near you. The Mid-States Poker Tour. Finally, a poker tour designed for poker players. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com. Previously on House of Cards, they were very rude, and um, they kicked me out. Really? They kicked me out of... About a minute and a half later, two very large guys came up behind me as I was seated, and they said, Sir, you'll have to come with us. You've been asked to leave. House of Cards has secretly obtained the audio from this Las Vegas poker room. Here's the poker room manager's instructions to his staff upon seeing Ashley. I see you. I see you. You hit that in the face really f***ing hard. Sorry, man. Ow, ow, ow. House of Cards, spreading love wherever we go. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're joining us now for my favorite segment of the show, Mailbag, with my producer, Dave Weishattle. You know, I Dave. forgot all about that clip. What was that? Mandalay Bay, right? Mandalay Bay. It was bleeped the hell with out. Them. They're, not, they're not advertising with us, we can say. No, they're not advertising anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's right. Mandalay Bay. I remember <laughs> it very well. I was with my friend Jim Hexter in uh, Mandalay at 2 a.m., and I was not drinking at all. I was perfectly sober, perfectly reasonable. And in spite of that, because I asked so many questions about rules and wanting to see the rule book, uh, the guy came over. He said, uh, do you want to talk to me outside? And I said, no. He said, I said, do you want to talk to me outside? I said, no. And the next thing I knew, these two guys were escorted. Out of <laughs> did, the did they know you were a reporter? I no. mean, usually no. don't you have your newspaper I had in, my, the, in the uh, they, thing? I so it's, By so, the way, it's... Um, Bad news for Poker Player newspaper. Oh, wow. That's yeah. the latest news. They've, um, I think, well, I can't talk about it. Oh, Sorry. okay. <laughs> Take that out, oh, Doug. No, we just talking. can't talk about that. <laughs> but, so uh, what's up this uh Well, this you, went, you went to a poker room just spreading love and charity wherever you went. It was uh, New York, Poker yeah, for Life. Poker for Life. They run an incredible poker. It was at the tunnel yeah. by oh. the sea or tunnel by the river. 
Uh, Do they call it a tunnel because it's a long room or something yeah, like that? Yeah, oh, okay. it's, it's a venue. I guess they do all sorts of stuff. There's a, a little restaurant, a breakfast, lunch place off of it, but it's very long. It's an entire city block long, and it's cavernous, and it's a tunnel. tunnel. <laughs> but they turned it into a great uh, tournament poker space. Uh, they, there seemed to be a couple, 300 people uh, high rollers. I got to meet Jimmy the Outlaw. Yeah, all right. Uh, I, I was going to ask you about that. Oh, that was great. He's a personality and a half. Okay, I got to ask you: Did he do his singing act, his comedy act, or you just couldn't tell? <laughs> he didn't. Do I'm his, just joking. He did his personality. <laughs> oh, act. okay. He went around and shook hands and told people who he was and had photographs taken with him. He had one of his outlaw girls there, uh, but basically he was just a. Uh, a publicizing celebrity just mingling, personality, huh? and his music played. I mean, it was not identified oh, okay. uh, as such, but I heard it a number of times hit the ground running okay. or hit the hand running or whatever <laughs> so, it is. It was. I mean, I, 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 I assumed it. he was going to play live or something like that. Nope. No, he just walks around? He just wow. walks around, says hello to people. Just you know, being Jimmy, huh? He acts <laughs> like an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> That's what he's like. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Going up to people, very friendly, personable, really engaging. Uh, he remembered you, right? Not only did he, he remember oh. me, he made a beeline for me when he heard my name, nice. and I made a beeline <laughs> for him, and he, he signed a lot of autographs. Oh, great. I mean, I, don't, I, 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 I like the guy a lot. I like his music. I don't know how many people would see him and say, <laughs> ooh, can I have your autograph? But he was there signing away and giving out promotional photographs of himself. Okay, oh. um, Giving out CDs, I got a couple of CDs. Oh, cool! Wow. And uh, he's he's quite the entertaining guy. He dressed the part. He was wearing a, I forget if it was a white suit. Oh, really geez. sharp. So aside from Jimmy Lee, the uh, Jersey Outlaw, how was the poker playing? Well, I didn't cash. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I got. Is this a touchy stuff. subject right now? Not at all. <laughs> no, I mean, look, uh, it, it raised a ton of money. They had a silent auction. They charged 300 and some odd bucks for the tournament. Uh, the prizes were all donated. They raised something like $150,000 to $250,000 wow. for a charity. I don't remember what the charity was. It was the Nick Bonacani. Is it the Nick Bonacani Fund, Doug? Nick Bonacani Fund. The guys were great. It was a first class event. They had, you know, alcohol flowed freely. Um, they had great food. It was, uh, I think, catered by Tony or some well-known New York Italian caterer. Mm -hmm. uh, the food was delicious, and uh, it was just what it was designed to be, a fun, not very serious uh, poker fundraising event. People all seemed to have a good time. There was a lot of drinking, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of exchanging information for people, you know, uh, connecting a lot of Wall Street types, Morgan Stanley. Oh, it was a lot of networking going on. A lot on, of huh? networking, a lot go. of very well-dressed people that seemed well-heeled. I mean, the rebuys were 250 or $350 for another. And the blinds escalated very quickly. Okay. I don't think that there was anybody there who thought, I'm the best player in the room, I'm going to win. You might think I'm the best player in the room, but there was a lot of luck involved. I got busted out early. My friend got busted out not much later. Um it was a lot of fun. I would recommend it to anybody that has a discretionary three hundred and fifty, yeah. seven hundred thousand dollars they want to give to charity. Yeah. What a great way to give it. Give a thousand bucks, buy in a few times, spend some money on the silent auction, 
do good while enjoying yourself. I know they have a couple more events coming on this summer. So uh, poker number four life, poker for life. Org. Great. If you've so, got money um, you're willing to give to charity, why not give it in a yep. way where you can have a good time and feed yourself and meet interesting people? I, I mean, I love it. To me, poker is a great vehicle for charity, and uh, this proved it. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. My brother told me that you drove down and drove back up. You didn't stay over or anything like that? or I didn't stay over or anything like that. No, nothing like that. No, no I drove down. <laughs> drove down. That's a three-hour drive for now, you. Now, the problem, no, it's a four-hour drive. Four-hour drive? The problem was not driving down and driving back in the same day. That's eight hours of driving. I've done many more hours. The problem was the event really didn't start until 7.30. Okay. So my concern was, and it wasn't going to be over if I were to win the event until 1, and then I'd be coming home (laughs) 5 and 6 in the morning. So in a way, and this was rationalization, I was lucky to have busted out so early that I got home at 2 a.m. Well, that's a nice way to look at it. That's right. <laughs> now, you do a lot of charity events, too, in yes. the past. How does this compare to the ones that you've been to before or put on? Bigger. Is it A bigger? lot more money. A lot more money. I mean, when I do a charity event, uh, we're raising a couple thousand dollars, $3,000, $4,000, It's uh, self-dealt. This, they had... You know, dealers, professional dealers who dealt all the tables. I would never in a million years think about charging $395 with $250 rebuys because mm-hmm. uh, the people that I run tournaments for, if you can get 100 bucks out of them and then maybe a few $20 rebuys, that's, that's pretty much scraping the bottle of, bottom of their discretionary charitable giving. Um, but it, this was New York. It was high-end, and I run, you know, moderately priced local fundraising events for synagogues, churches, and the like. Mm-hmm. I also go to events. Yeah. And uh, the event that came the closest to this was the MS charity, Jason DeLoya down in Port Chester, what he does for MS. Um, this was, his, I think, the, you know, that's the closest. They raise about $20,000. They have donated prizes, too. Um but this was on a different yeah, level. From that. But so. what made this thing work was the glitch and the glamour oh, yeah, of the event. Yeah, right. You had food. You had people dressed up. You had nice prizes. You had, But that'll have to do it for All this right. week's uh, episode. Please come back next week. More House of Cards then. Stay tuned. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.